Sometimes into the midst of our lives, situations arise, circumstances occur over which we have no control. And it's often in the midst of those circumstances that we struggle to make sense of the world around us, such has been this past week. And I always find it fascinating how in the context of trying to deal with things such as civil unrest, with what, at least on the surface, seems to be the unnecessary deaths of two men, with the killing of five police officers, we look at the situation and we simply go, and what do I do? Because it's such a big issue. It's so overwhelming. It puts us in a place of going, but what do I really do? What difference can I make? And so, of course, knowing how the church operates, knowing the way that we historically have looked at issues, it fascinates me then that we come to this past Sunday's lectionary reading. And the passage that occurs is the one that was read to you earlier. The gospel is always timeless in that regard. It always speaks into the existing situations, into the world in which we live. And so this lawyer, as we heard, came to Jesus. And while his initial attempt was to try and trap Jesus, in asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds not with an answer, but with his own question. You're a scribe. You're the expert in the law. What does the law itself say? And this law you're drawing upon the very tradition in which he has been trained, in which he has studied for years and years and years, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In so doing, he has summed up what Exodus and Leviticus have brought together as a way of dealing with who it is that we are as a people. This is our identity. These are the things that you and I are called to be a part of. And Jesus affirms this. But as, just, or as Molly read, it goes beyond just this idea of go and do likewise. The lawyer seeks to justify himself. And I began to ask, well, why? I mean, he knows the answer, so why is he trying to justify now the very answer that he's given? And in order to understand that, you have to understand how this particular group of people saw this issue of neighbor. For many of them, neighbor was very narrowly defined. Basically, if you were an observant Jew, you were neighbor. Anybody else was not. And so the lawyer, in asking this question and attempting to justify himself, is basically saying to Jesus, will you now affirm our understanding of neighbor? Will you go so far as to say that it's only these observant Jews that get to be in the pool? It's only we, people just like us, that are part of the process here, and we will do our best to serve and minister to them, but everyone else is on the outside looking in. And as Jesus does repeatedly throughout his ministry, he doesn't simply answer it, but he tells a story. And in telling the story, he invites this scribe into a new way of thinking, a new way of acting. Now, historically, we understand that time and time again, various cultures have tended to describe who's in and who's out. They've drawn the boundaries. 
And we can simply look even within the last 100 years of human history and see time and time again, nation state after nation state go through genocide, ethnic cleansing, in an effort to say, we're the ones who are important. Everyone else is on the outside looking in. But we also understand that in many ways, the gospel speaks against that very thing. In fact, Jesus, in telling this story, reverses the thing that everyone was expecting to hear. Because this was probably, according to many commentators, a parable that others would have known. And in hearing that parable, they would have expected a certain response. That when these three people come by, it would have been the priest, it would have been the Levite, and then it would have been the faithful Jewish person. And by changing that third quality to the Samaritan, Jesus upends everything. Because Jesus is never content simply to push boundaries. Jesus destroys boundaries. Always in an effort to sow what the kingdom of heaven should be like. What I'd like you to do is to watch just a short video here. It's about three minutes long. But I think in many ways will help us to better understand what it looks like to recognize that maybe we're not so different from those around us. You see, the scribe knew how to interpret scripture. You, seminary students, DMN students, you know how to interpret scripture. You've studied under some of the best world scholars we have. But one of the things that the scribe had to learn that day, there's a far difference between interpreting scripture and internalizing scripture. There's a big difference between simply knowing what it says and then learning to practice it, learning to live it out in our lives. You see, if someone asks you, do you love God? You'd immediately respond, of course I do. I love him with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I love him with everything that I have. And you'd be able to give countless examples again and again and again of how you do that. But what if God himself were to ask you, do you really love your neighbor in the same way that you love me? Would you be able to answer the same way? Would you be able to give the same types of examples of how you're living that out on a daily basis? You see, it's one thing for us to say that we love God. It's something entirely different to say that we love our neighbor and to demonstrate that by our practice. You and I don't get to pick and choose who, when, and where will love God. He commands us to love him with everything that we have. We don't have that choice. And so similarly, the command to love our neighbor comes with this same idea. We're to love them regardless of where we are, regardless of our context, regardless of those that we encounter, we're called to reach out in love and compassion in the same way that God loves us. In fact, I would suggest that to do any less, according to 1 John 3.10, is to actually demonstrate that we don't love God the way that we think we do. If we can't love our neighbor in the same way that we say we love God, then according to John, we're lying. See, if this parable tells us anything, it's that we can't just see what's going on and then talk about it. Neither can we witness an event and offer an often uninformed opinion on it and then just sit back and see what occurs. Instead, you and I are called to do something. But what? As I already said, the situation often seems so big, so overwhelming, 
What can one person do in this process? Can I simply suggest you start where you are? We can't fix the problem in Dallas. We can't fix the problem in Louisiana. We can't fix the problem in Minnesota. But we can start with our own neighborhood. We can start with our church. We can start even in our own seminary classes. And in the very midst of meeting our neighbors in those situations, we may not be able to tackle everything, but we quickly recognize that's never an excuse to do nothing. And so today, I want to suggest that there comes a time, and perhaps we're even well past that at this particular point, when scholars like Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. and others who have gone before have suggested that in relation to this particular parable of the Good Samaritan, that we have to not only engage our neighbor, but we then have to move beyond just bandaging the wounds and begin to look at the systems that have created the wounds. And we have to find ways to actually address those in powerful ways. What are those systems that continue to allow such harms to be regularly perpetrated? And then once we've asked that question, we then begin to find the ways to move and change those systems because that's what the church is about. The kingdom of God goes far beyond any man-made government. It is said, establishes what the kingdom is about as a place of love, of hospitality, of compassion, of reaching out to those most in need, especially the marginalized, and saying the gospel is for you in the same way that the gospel is for me. We find our way forward, slowly, incrementally, but we find our way forward together. For the sake of every soul in our society, for the sake of our families, for the sake of the people that we see on television and that we meet in the grocery store, we cannot afford to stay in our current death trap. As Martin Luther King offered famously once, we don't need to see the top of the staircase in order to take the first step. And maybe the real thrust of this week's homily is simply this question. How far does love reach? How far does it reach? For the lawyer, it wasn't very far. It was just to those people who were like me, the people who thought like me, who acted like me, who looked like me. But are we really that much different? You see, it's far too easy to love those like us, the people in our church, the people we hang out with, our closest friends, our family, and it might even be fairly easy to love those in your class or to love those in your church who disagree with you, or who think differently than you, especially if they make our lives easier. And even on some theoretical level, we can say that we love people we've never met simply because they share the title Christian with us. But you see, Jesus is never willing to simply allow us to live in the theoretical or abstract. Jesus always brings it down to the concrete. And so into this messy, complex world of mixed motives, Christ asks us to say this. In the same way that God's love reaches out to me, I'm willing to reach out to others. I simply can do no less. Even to those who society would tell me are my enemies. They're the problem. 
God's love compels me to say, even so, just as the Good Samaritan made the effort knowing he was putting his own life at risk, he did it anyways. And that's what you and I are called to do as well. May that prayer be one that we all can pray, where we can stand before our Heavenly Father and say, I did love my neighbor in the same way that I loved you. Amen.